Now, can we turn this morning to the part of God's Word we read, Matthew 22. And I want us to turn to one of this one of Jesus' parables. Perhaps if we could read uh, the first three verses again. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Now when I was in school, we used to get quite a lot of uh, religious education. Some people may think it's going back a long time, but uh, remember the teacher in our, uh, head teacher in our primary school used to explain that a parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Or we may say it is an ordinary story with a spiritual meaning. Now Jesus used parables a lot of the time. He used them to show what the kingdom of God was like. We read that in verse 2 here. The kingdom of heaven is like. And then he goes on to say what it is like. It's like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Jesus is speaking to us in pictures. Really to put us in the picture. Now what this parable, what this story is all about is about the gospel invitation and I want us to use this parable to speak very very simply of the good news of the gospel and of the invitation that God is giving to every one of us to come to him and to know him I want to look at it in four main stages, four main truths. Each of them are important, and perhaps even get more important as we go along. So stay wide awake. The gospel invitation. The gospel invitation is like a wedding invitation. That's the first part. The gospel invitation is refused by some people. The gospel invitation is offered to others. And the gospel invitation is to be right with God. Now let us think of these four things in turn. The gospel invitation is like a wedding invitation. Now I was asking the children, how many of you have been at a wedding? Well a lot of you have been at your own. Uh, those of you who are married. Um, even perhaps lots of others you've possibly lost count just not long ago I was uh, doing a tally, I was taking count of how many weddings I had actually officiated at, I don't know that many but even the number I had I'd, I'd forgotten some of them at least I, I wasn't sure when they were or what I'd said now, the wedding is a great occasion it's a very happy occasion and as a matter of interest, this is, a, in a sense, wedding day because tonight we will be looking at John chapter 2 which is talking more about weddings. Uh, but anyway, we are talking here about the, the gospel invitation. And Jesus says 
the kingdom of heaven is like a royal wedding banquet. I imagine being invited along to a, not just an ordinary wedding, let's call them an ordinary wedding, but to the royal wedding. Imagine being one of the honoured guests there. Imagine the spread, imagine the, the, all, all the splendour. Now, in a sense, Jesus is, is hinting at all that when he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a royal wedding banquet. There couldn't be anything better to be invited to. And Jesus is God's son. He is the king's son. That's what we're learning from this. How important Jesus is. Last Sunday morning, in fact, we do it quite often, we, we come across the truth. Jesus is telling us. For, for example, he's telling us in John's Gospel, as we saw it, all the different names that he has to show how important he is. And how special this occasion is that we are invited to, the, to Jesus' wedding. Because that's what it is. We are invited to the wedding of the King's Son. But what are we to understand here? Very simply this. And we're going to come back to this. Because it's a one important thing. That we only belong to God's kingdom if we come to God's Son. Now, are we sure about that? I think there are a lot of people, perhaps even people who attend churches, people who read their Bibles, who are still confused as to what it means to be a Christian at all. But Jesus is saying we only belong to God's kingdom if we come and we trust in God's Son, if we know Jesus ourselves. Jesus is the King's Son. We read this as well, that Jesus has made everything ready. He's showing a picture here of the king getting all the banquet prepared. And he says, he says it there in verse 4, everything is now ready. You see, when Jesus invites us to come to him, he doesn't ask us to do anything at all to get ready. Huh? Nothing. Because he has made everything ready. He doesn't ask us to change our way of life first. He doesn't ask us to prove that we're better people and that we're worthy of Jesus first. He simply asks us to come as we are, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. Come as we are to Jesus. Because everything is ready. He's done everything that we need to be Christians. He has come into this world. He has lived a perfect life. He has died on the cross to pay for our sins. He has come back to life again from the dead. And he's gone into the presence of God for us. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And meantime, he is blessing us with all the blessings that we need, all the blessings that Christ has. Everything's ready. We don't need to do anything except to come. Jesus is the king's son. Jesus has made everything ready. 
and Jesus has invited the guests. The, the, the way that Jesus tells this is really from the pattern that would have happened in his own day that if a wedding was arranged the, the people who were being invited would have been told sort of informally beforehand perhaps just verbally and then when the time drew near the actual date was fixed and the more official invitations were sent out to confirm what they'd already been told you know perhaps somebody drops a word in you look we're getting married such and such try and keep the date free but then eventually in the post you get a you get a, a wee card saying you're invited to the wedding of such and such now that is a kind of process Jesus has invited guests he, is, he sends out the invitation and he confirms the invitation. But what I want to grasp here is a special sense of privilege of being invited to come to Jesus at all. I think that we, some people at least, to some people the gospel may be new. The whole idea of the Christian faith may be new. The Bible may be not something they have looked at much before. But to other people, they have heard the gospel so often. They have heard Jesus speaking to them, saying to them, You can come to me. And they've heard it so often that they somehow don't, they don't seem to believe it any longer. Or they think, well, that's nothing great, that's nothing new. The reality is it's such a tremendous privilege to be invited to come to Jesus and to belong to him. Jesus has invited guests. The gospel invitation then is like a wedding invitation. But I want to take it a stage further. What we learn in this parable, in this story, is that the gospel invitation is refused by some. You have it at the end of verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4. But they refuse to come. And then he sent more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and they went off. So on. Some people refuse to come. But see this. The invitation, though it's refused, is repeated. That's what we read there. The king had sent out the invitations. They said no. But he didn't say, okay, well, tear, tear up, say, that's them scrapped. We'll ask somebody else. He went back, first of all, to the same people. Now that is the way that God deals with us. You see how kind, how good, how gracious God is. Though we spurn him, he doesn't turn away from us immediately. If you like, he gives us another chance. There's no other chances after we die. We know that. But God is so kind that he gives us more than one chance, many chances in this life. How often 
have some people refuse Christ. Even those of you who are Christians like myself can think of the number of times that we sat, we heard the gospel, we were even moved by the gospel. We knew that we should come, but we didn't. We refused the invitation. And yet God kept coming back to us. We didn't have to. We didn't deserve it, but he did it. We refuse Christ, but he still invites. That's one thing we learn here. But we also learn this, that the invitation is refused for different reasons. There are what I call the three A's here in verses 5 and 6. One reason why people refuse Christ's invitation is apathy. Plain, simple apathy. They paid no attention. Some people just ignore Christ. Some people can't be bothered with Christ. One of the biggest problems in communicating the gospel is a problem of apathy. Some people couldn't care less. Some people never stop to think about the claims of Christ or who Christ is or to think about their own self and their own eternal destiny they pay no attention they refuse Christ out of apathy then you get the other side the other kind of response here is what I call activity some people refuse Christ because they are too busy Now you see it here. Jesus very carefully, I think, selects his material for his story. They paid no attention. They went off. Where did they go? One to his field. Another to his business. Now if you're a farmer, as Jesus is suggesting there, there is nothing wrong with having fields. You need fields to grow your crops, to to feed your beasts and so on. There's nothing wrong with being in business. There's nothing wrong in making money. There's nothing wrong in enterprise. There's nothing wrong in ambition in itself. But when these things replace Jesus Christ and his claims, they become wrong. They become bad for us. The reason that some people refuse Christ is simply because they are caught up in the pace of life. You know, they're just too busy to stop and think. They're too busy to see the importance of Jesus. They're too busy just making a living, earning their own livelihood. They're too busy following through their career or their ambitions. And their activity makes them refuse such a kind invitation. There is another kind of refusal. There's apathy, there's activity, and there's antagonism. Jesus here speaks of some who not only refuse the gospel, but who demonstrate their opposition. Who show not only that they haven't time to go to the king's banquet, not only that they couldn't care less, but that they actually hated the king. They hated the son. You know, we were singing in Psalm 2. It's worth your while to look at that psalm if you haven't done it when we were singing it. 
to look at the, be- the beginning part, the early part of the psalm, which says, why, why have the nations conspired against the Lord and against his Christ? Why is it that people join themselves in force against God and against Jesus? Why is it? Why is it that in this world that God has made and where God is good to everybody every day, why is it that people are so against them? The only answer to that is the deepness of the rebellion of our own hearts. But here we see people in refusing the invitation they show it, they, they rip it up, they stamp on the ground and they go against them. Jesus is actually speaking about a situation that was due to happen in his own life. He came to his own people, you read in John, but his own people didn't know him and they didn't receive him. What did they do to him? What did the Jewish people do to Jesus Christ? They took him and by wicked hands he was crucified and slain. That's what they did to him. That's how much they hated Christ. You know, it shouldn't surprise us necessarily that in this world there are those who are against God and against Christ. It shouldn't surprise us that we are involved in any way in in evangelism, whether it's on a purely private, personal basis or an organized church basis. It shouldn't surprise us if some people show their hatred against God and against Christ. The reason some people refuse the gospel, apathy, activity, antagonism. But then there's another very important word here from Jesus. And it's this. That when the gospel is refused, when the gospel invitation is repeatedly refused, then those who refuse it are themselves rejected. Now can we get that? I've tried to stress how kind and good and gracious God is. How he keeps coming back to us even when we turn him and spit in his face. But there comes a point when God's grace to us stops if we're like that. There comes a point when God's spirit no longer strives with man where God just leaves them to themselves and shuts them out now are we listening to God's word today are we they did not deserve to come Jesus said instead they got what they deserved now Jesus is speaking here particularly in a historical situation of what is to happen to himself He's speaking here about the Jews rejecting the Son of God, rejecting Christ. He is speaking of the terrible national consequences that would follow, that Jerusalem would be razed to the ground, it would be, it would be destroyed, and its people would be scattered to the ends of the earth. To some extent they still are, as a consequence of their rejection of Christ. And if you're looking around the world, And if you're looking at the news in the world, we have a living day-by-day reminder of what God will do to those who reject him. It's a picture of something much worse. Because the sad truth is this. God does not only reject the Jewish nation, what I would call temporarily, because he will again come to them. 
But the sad truth is this, that if we keep rejecting Jesus, then he will finally and ultimately reject us. That's the truth. The gospel is refused by some. Refused, but repeated. Refused for different reasons. But if refused persistently, then those who refuse it are rejected. What are you doing? Can I just ask you this before we go on any further? I am very pleased to see people coming to this church. And I am always say to folks, even if they are not Christians, they are, they are more than welcome in this church. And I wish that more and more people would come to hear about God and to hear God's good news for them. But if you're coming all the time and you're not making any progress, if you're no further on, if you're actually saying no to Jesus, what then? What are you doing with the gospel invitation? It's refused by some. The gospel invitation is extended to others. You see, what we have here is, is, is a brighter side of the picture. God's servants are sent out with a new invitation. We were speaking recently in the church here, different occasions, about the great work of evangelism, what, what I would call the greatest work in the world. The great work of evangelism that God has given us if we are the church, if we are his people. Now can I just repeat what I'm always saying, just to, to remind us or to, to reinforce, that all Christians are missionaries, and all Christians are evangelists. And the reason I say that is because, what is a missionary? We think of perhaps somebody wearing a funny hat and paddling in the canoe up some river in, in dark Africa or in South America or somewhere. What is a missionary? A missionary is essentially someone who is sent out. And here we read that the king sent out his other servants. We, we, we are, if we are Christians, people who are being sent out by Jesus. We are missionaries. And we are evangelists. Evangelists are not just men like Dr. Billy Graham or Louis Palau or whoever we happen to know who are, you know, have a special equipment for evangelism. Evangelism is the work of telling the good news. That's what the, that's what the word means. And if we are Christians, we are to be telling the good news. Now, take this. Just because some people refuse the gospel, God doesn't give up. And what does he say to us? Just because some people refuse the gospel nor should we give up. We may find opposition, we may find apathy, or people are too busy, or people are dead against us. Keep going. He sends us out to tell the good news. All of us, if we're Christians. God's servants are sent out with a new invitation. Well, listen to this. All sorts of people are invited. It's a very interesting thing, this. You see, the gospel offer... Is, is not just from the minister to a, whatever congregation happens to gather. But the, the, the gospel offer is by all Christians to all peoples. Go and preach the gospel to all the peoples, all the nations. And it's all sorts of people. 
You see, we tend, I think, to be selective in who we want to speak to about Christ, don't we? We want to, we're a bit selective perhaps even who we're happy, who we feel at ease in inviting along to the church. We think that so and such and such kinds of people may not fit in somehow. Eh? Am I only being suspicious? I think we, we do tend to be selective. Now I'm not saying that, that there are not people that we perhaps we, we, we relate to far better, we can speak to far, far more easily and so on. But be careful about being too selective. For this reason. That all sorts of people are to be invited. He sends out his servants here to the street corners. And to anyone you can find, we read in verse 9. No distinction whatsoever. Not just these specially selected people who were invited originally. In fact, he says, because of these special people who turned their noses up at their invitation, he says, take anybody you like. So what's the truth here? It's this. That God draws no distinctions. God draws no distinctions when he invites people to himself. He's not saying, look, I am speaking to you personally because I know you, you are a decent sort of person and I like you and therefore you can come. He's not saying that. He's not saying this is a gospel for you because you belong to Scotland or you belong uh, to the free church or you, be, or you belong to a certain creed or you have a certain color of skin. He's saying this is a gospel for anybody and for everybody. You are invited. <laughs> It is to whoever will, to whoever will listen, whoever will come, whoever will believe, is invited. In other words, this invitation is for you. Please don't think that when you're coming along to church, that somehow the minister is speaking just to other people. Now, I know that some people occasionally think, say that, Oh, you were, you were looking right at me today. Well, I, I don't pick on people like that, I don't think. Not, not intentionally. The Holy Spirit does, but I don't. But on the other hand, I don't bypass people either. I want to speak to everybody. And I want to say this, that this gospel, this invitation is for you. It's good news for you. You are invited to come to Jesus. All sorts of people are invited. And then we learn this, that all sorts of people do come. People will come. That's the optimism of evangelism. Perhaps we're living in a situation here where we're seeing things, good things happening. Perhaps there's other congregations that we know of, perhaps where there are very few new people, no, no converts for years on end and so on, and we think that, that that's, that's a normal run of things. Well, I can think back, and I know there's others here who can think back, to, to the earlier days of this congregation when we were a, but a small handful, few in number, very few, as the Bible says. And I remember being encouraged, having to be encouraged, because I tended to be very discouraged at times, but people saying, it'll get better, they will come. And that was a rebuke to my own spirit, because that is the truth of God's word. I believe in the optimism of evangelism. I believe that when the gospel is preached, that though some people may refuse, the majority may refuse, some will come. All sorts of people will come. There is always, ultimately, and I say ultimately, there is always 
a positive response to the gospel message. And we have no right to be negative. We have no right to have our heads down in our boots and saying, God will not bless us because we do not deserve it. Well, we don't deserve it. But that doesn't mean to say that God won't bless us. If we are preaching the gospel faithfully, if we are witnessing faithfully, if we are being missionaries and evangelists sent out, telling the good news, I, I can guarantee, I was going to say I can bet, I can guarantee there will be results. I can guarantee on the basis of God's word that he will come. As we keep inviting, some will keep coming. Till as we read here, God's house, God's wedding hall is full. That's what, the, that's what the history of this world is about. Do you any wonder about that? I know it's a confusing kind of world. It's a confusing kind of history. But you know what's happening? The gospel has been preached and it will be preached in all nations. And then the end will come. When God has gathered in all his people, all sorts of people. He invites all sorts, all sorts will come. That's the optimism. Yeah. I'll tell you this, we said it last week, didn't we? Looking at the, the, the few early disciples. They were all different. The four of them that we read about. So are all these people who come. We're all different. All sorts of people. There's one last thing I want to mention here. The gospel invitation is not only extended to others. The gospel invitation is this. It is to be right with God I want us to grasp that I think perhaps that is the most important truth of all here can I put it this way you been at weddings yeah but you when you went to a wedding whether it's your own or somebody else's you, you dressed up you probably went and bought a new outfit of clothes eh? maybe not but you got dressed up you went sort of decent imagine going to a wedding in a dirty boiler suit Imagine going to a wedding in your ordinary working clothes, not caring to do hoops what, what, what the guests, what the rest of the guests or, or, your, or your honoured couple think. Now here we have a man who dared to come into the wedding banquet, but he didn't have on the wedding clothes. What does that mean? What does it mean? You see, the king had laid on the banquet... It was his invitation, it was his show. But he'd also laid on the clothes. That is a picture, we understand the background, that was the way they did it then. You didn't have to go out and buy your own togs. You were provided with, as you came along. There's a boon for you. Now, that's, that is why the king has a right to be annoyed, more than annoyed, he has a right to be angry with his man. Because this man has, though he has accepted the invitation to the, to the banquet, he has spurned the fact that he needs to, to be dressed in a decent fashion, in a proper way. So what is this teaching us? It's teaching us simply this. That we need to be right with God. I know we have lots of needs. And you know your own needs. And perhaps God knows them even better. But our most important need 
For any of us is this. It is to be right with God. God is concerned. As we are reminded today already. God is concerned that we have a personal relationship with him. That is what he's concerned about. Not, not just that we're good in our own eyes. You see, I think that the problem, and it's, it's, it's a problem that's not limited to, to certain people, it's a basic human problem, that we, we, we estimate our own goodness. We think, well, I am quite good, really. And therefore God is bound to accept me just as I am. <coughs> now, it's not enough that we are good in our own eyes. Because in God's eyes we're not good. You can read the Bible to get that quite clear. We have all sinned. We have all come short of God's glory. It's not good enough that we simply are church attenders. That in itself doesn't necessarily please God. It doesn't make us better automatically. It's not good enough that we are, that we are even accepted as church members. You know a person may be a member in a church... And yet they may not be right with God. But I'm thinking forward to next Sunday morning when we have our communion. When we are gathering at the Lord's table. What are we saying? We are saying, well, those who are there are first of all church members. Yeah, first of all. No, first of all, they are right with God. Where our sins are forgiven. Are they? Where we have a heart that is made new. Where we are living for God. That is our need. To be right with God. It doesn't matter what we think of ourselves. It doesn't matter what the world. Other people think about us. What does God think about us? Have we been made right with God? Our sins forgiven? Our heart made new? Living for God? Can I say this too? Only Jesus makes us right with God. That's what his wedding garment, these wedding clothes come in. He provides the covering. We are sinners. What God calls us. And he's not embarrassed to call us that. We are embarrassed to hear it perhaps. But we are sinners. Sinners in nature. We are sinners in our behavior. That's the way that we are. And what's more, we cannot, we are not able to make ourselves right with God. We can't dress up. You know, there was a tramp once. Somebody was saying to me just the other day, they don't see them going around Scotland much nowadays, I don't know. But there was this particular tramp, he used to sit more or less at the same place. He was in the, he was in the city and he used to sit in the street and uh, perhaps beg a bit and so on. And this artist, this painter, came along this day and he thought, be terrific just to draw this chap. He made a great picture. So he says to him, Look, can you come along to my studio? And he gave his address and he says, I want to paint you. So the next day, it was a Monday morning, the, 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 the door knocked and there was this, this, this guy and he says, that's no use, he says. What the tramp had done, he'd gone and got dressed up somewhere. You know? Now what God says to us, we've got to come as we are. We can't dress ourselves up. We can't make ourselves right with God. It's simply not possible. It's not acceptable. 
But Jesus makes us right with God. He lived a perfect life. He died to pay for our sins. And he rose again for this very reason. To make us right with God. Do you know this? You can look at all the sin of your own life. And then you can look to Jesus. You can see how perfect he is. You can trust him. Trust what he's done. And that is what makes you right with God. Jesus makes us right with God. Do you trust him? And we only belong. This is my very last point. I want to say it because it goes back to the enforcement we said earlier. We only belong with God if we are right with God. What happened to this man? He was thrown out, turfed out, tied hand and foot, out into the outer darkness. Now unless we trust in Jesus, we may be among God's people, we may be attending church, but we, do not, we are not one of God's people. We do not belong unless we trust in Jesus. And if we do not really belong to God, God will throw us out. Throw us out into the agony, and to the remorse, and to the darkness that is forever and forever. We've been talking about the gospel invitation. It does give us a choice. The choice is to come to Christ, to accept the invitation or to refuse it. And today, you are invited to Christ. You are invited to come to Him. He wants you to be His. You are invited to belong to Him. And you are invited to be right with God. You come. Will you be right? Today, Jesus says. Let us bow our heads briefly in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we bless you. But though we have turned our backs on you, you have not forgotten us. And we thank you, Lord, for the message of the gospel, the invitation that comes running after us to tell us that God wants us. That we are invited. That Jesus asks us to come. Lord we pray that we will not refuse that invitation. But we ask our God as we hear you calling. That you would turn us. That we would come. That we would belong. That we would be right with God. Hear us for Jesus sake. Amen.